morning. I had a grandma who lived in San Antonio, and we would go and visit her often, and she was just great um, because she let us do what we wanted to inside the house. It wasn't one of those houses where you couldn't, you know, it wasn't one of those, well, I was about to say something, then I thought I'd insult all of you, so let me just rephrase that. Trial run, 9 a.m. It was a great place for a kid because you could get like the Nerf hoop. Remember the Nerf hoop? That was awesome, man. Uh, the Nerf hoop, I could put it in the hallways and the ball could bounce off the walls, no big deal. Uh, we, could, we could throw a, a Nerf football around. We could play and have games. All of that went great. But there was one room, one room, the dining room. It's like you walked into the dining room and a holy hush came over. And it was like, when I would go in the summer, we never used that room. When I went on spring break, we never used that room. We would alternate Thanksgiving or Christmas. And that one meal a year was the only time that room was ever used. And inside this dining room, there was this tall cabinet. And inside that cabinet were plates. And in, in my childhood mind, it was really logical. If you have food and you need a plate, Go to, the, you know, go to the place where the plates are displayed and just grab it and eat something. But no, only one meal a year were you able to eat on grandma's china. It was special. It was unique. And so because of that, because of the aura around it, it wasn't ever used. It was just like this extra space and extra plates that were set apart, and you could only use them just when, when you felt like you were acting differently. Now, there is some value to that. There is some value to that. But for the purposes of today's teaching, I want to compare that to, to how a lot of us view our Christianity. We compartmentalize it into this special little room that we only enter in on an occasional, an occasional time. And, and then it has these tools or these, um, yeah, these plates, to, to use the analogy here, that we could use all year long, right? It would be logical to use, but we just think it's only for special times and special occasions, this is what the writer of Hebrews was pushing against that mindset when he wrote this passage. I'm looking forward to teaching today's passage because uh, in all these years I've been teaching God's word, 30 years now, I, I don't ever remember teaching this passage. And that's one of the reasons expository preaching is good because it starts with the word. So uh, I was there, I was like, wow, Lord, how am I going to get a sermon out of this and then... He's faithful, isn't he, huh? He's faithful. Well, let's talk a, a second about the kingdom of God because Jesus talked about the kingdom of God a lot. In fact, in the ESV, which is a version of the Bible that's pretty popular and well accepted now, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the phrase the kingdom of God is used 126 times. So most of those times it was Jesus saying it. 
So it's an important phrase, but it's lost a little impact with us. That's why I've often equated the term kingdom of God with the culture of God, because we don't live, we don't live under a kingdom uh, necessarily now, but as those who live out individual liberty in the United States of America, we're all about culture. What's our culture? So the kingdom of God, the culture of God, but we're gonna stick with the biblical term, the kingdom of God, and it's a very important term, and there's been all kinds of books written about it, and I've, I've been fortunate enough to read several of those books and talk about the kingdom of God and preach about the kingdom of God, and I love the concept. You'll hear me teach this about once a year about the already, not yet kingdom of God. That's such an important concept for us as a church, but what is the kingdom of God? We're about to talk about the kingdom of God, so I want you to know what it is. What is the kingdom of God? Very simply, the kingdom of God is the rule of God, the reign of God. That's all the kingdom of God is. You might want to write that down. It's not one of your fill in the blanks, but man, it's good. And I've, I've provided you pens, so why wouldn't you write down this stuff, right? Praise God. Well, I really didn't provide you pens personally. You actually provided pens through your giving and authorized. Yeah, so you provided yourself pens to the glory of God. So the kingdom of God is the reign of God. So when we say, let your kingdom, which is in heaven, come to earth, we're saying, God, assert your reign here on earth. God, I want you to reign in my little kid's soccer team. God, I want you to reign in what I choose with my, for my entertainment. God, I want you to reign while I play golf. The kingdom has never come to my golf game. Oh, no, it hasn't. I'm still waiting for the kingdom to come. Actually, I actually don't play golf, so thanks for the invitation, but because of my pride, I will not play. But let the kingdom of God come to my hobbies. Let the kingdom of God, let the reign of God come to this relationship. Like, Jesus, you, your principles and your personality and the essence of who you are, kingdom of God, come, reign. It's not this distant philosophical, separate kind of concept. The reign of the kingdom of God is involved in every single thing we do. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's not professional, the kingdom of God. Today I'm going to preach about the kingdom of God. Let's go to the dining room and get out the china. <laughs> no, it's here. It's now. Jesus said it's within. The kingdom is here, it's now, it's within. And we deceive ourselves when we start saying the kingdom of God is for the professionals. The kingdom of God is for the clergy. I don't even like the word clergy. It doesn't even come from the Bible. That means the, the professional Christians, but there's no such thing. From the pastor, no, the kingdom of God is for everybody in every situation at every time. And so, you know, when you're, when you're watching sports and hate comes in your heart for the other team's fans that are so annoying, yes, the kingdom of God belongs there in that sector also. We cannot separate the kingdom of God. It's here. It's within us. And so here's my first point today from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. The kingdom is approachable. Oh, this is good. Now, we, we, we've, uh, as a three streams church, we, we love the sacramental and liturgical stream. Three streams talks about the sacraments and the scripture and the spirit. 
And, and we love that because for about 40 years, the church tried, a lot of the evangelical church tried to get away from the sacraments. So now we, and many churches like us, are incorporating them with submission to the word and led by the spirit. And so I say all of that so that, so that you will understand where we're framing this as a church. But when the sacraments and when liturgical practices communicate that God is unapproachable, then it has become prideful dead religion. The table of the Lord is open for all people at all times. Uh, it's not for the elite. It's not for the special it's not for those who have self-qualified or who are perfect in their own self-righteousness. The table of the Lord is open to all. I'm so glad because if it wasn't open to all, it wouldn't be open to me. So we don't approach God. We don't approach God through our intellect only. We don't approach God through our academic qualifications. We don't approach God through our national identity, our ethnic identity. We don't approach God uh, through our family inheritance. We approach God from our hearts. And that's why as believers, we, we've got to just keep calling you back to the kingdom because it's so easy to go through the motions and fool everyone but God. But you can't fool God. Because he knows our hearts. So now we go back to this kingdom. The stuff that we do. Guys, us becoming a spiritual family. Us connecting with a historic church. Us giving opportunities for people to connect with God. It is a kingdom that's approachable. It's like open doors, open walls. I mean, we just say, anyone who wants Jesus, come on with us. Anyone who wants to hang out with Jesus, come to the party I didn't mean to say parte. I almost said that. Come to the party. And so anyone who wants Jesus, come on. And this is the approachable kingdom. When the kingdom was, was um, entered in through the first covenant, through Moses, that was not the case. Uh, the, God was establishing his transcendence. He was establishing his power and his might. He, he was just making himself very obvious. He said, I'm not like these man-made gods. I'm not like these manufactured gods. And so in Deuteronomy, when the law was given, it was dramatic. It was Moses on the mountain. It was smoke. It was fire. It was a loud voice from heaven saying, do what Moses says. Audio engineered for the movies. This was dramatic and it just, and it caused not just fear in the people's hearts, it caused fear to come into Moses' heart. And, and the fear of the Lord has its value. And so we, we understand uh, the power of God from those Old Testament stories and we need them and we need to read the Old Testament also. Even though we read the Old Testament through the cross of Jesus, we read the Old Testament through the covenant of the Lord. And so we, we read it within the full story. So this is what the scripture says. It says to you, and, and, and I have to say this, that it was, it was the scripture right before verse 18 uh, was, was, was talking about uh, the, the covenant that was with, with Jacob. And we'll get back to that. It says, you have not come to a mountain 
that can be touched and that is burning with fire. So you haven't come to Mount Sinai, this physical mountain that, that is touched and burning with fire. And, and there's some very specific words here to the dark gloom and storm. Now these words, the word dark and gloom can be translated a lot of different ways, but in, in the original language, it was communicating um, a, a place of, of, of a cloud, of a gloom. Uh, it, it was a place where you could still see color, but everything had a black shadow on it. Think of the underworld. How many of you know what I'm talking about in the underworld? Come on, you spiritual people. There's a show about the underworld. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you about that. Stranger Things, the underworld. <laughs> I should have run that by Beth. I knew I should have done that by Beth. Okay, let me start over. A place where you could see color, but it's still cloudy and gloomy. Think, people, about the underworld. I did it again. I need cue cards. Thank people about the upside down world. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You paid up your Netflix subscription, don't you? All right. So we'll just edit that right there. Bruce, we'll just edit that right out of the video when we post it, okay? Then no one would have a reason to watch the video if we edited out of that. So this idea of the upside down world is scary, it's dark, it's mystical, it's, we're not quite sure what it is, but we know it's more powerful than us. We, we, this, is, this is what these original words were communicating. And then there's the word storm, or another, a lot of your translations will say tempest. It's like, it's really a violent, quick wind that's destructive, like, like a tornado here in Middle Tennessee. Like it comes and it carries stuff away. And, and, and he's saying this, you've not come to a mountain that can be touched, that physical mountain that is burning with fire, that's darkness and gloom, and that is like a storm, and you're, you're just scared to get near it, to a trumpet blast, or, or to such a voice speaking words uh, that those who heard it begged that no further words would be spoken to them. This is how the first covenant was received. It's like, God, you're, you're, you're so overwhelming, and you're so powerful, we have to obey you. This is uh, the context to how God formed his people the first time before Jesus and his covenant because they, they could not bear what was commanded. And, and the command was, even if an animal touches a mountain, it must be stoned to death. And, and the sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. Even the one who saw God face to face, even the one who had access to God like no, none other said, said, oh, I'm scared too. And, and so we find out this wonderful in, information it's not really wonderful, it's, it's disruptive, but verse 18, don't forget the beginning, it says, you've not come to that kind of mountain. That was the old kind of mountain. That was the first covenant. That was the way we discovered the greatness of who God is, but things have changed. Things are different now. There's a different kind of mountain that we go to. It's not a physical mountain. We don't have to go to Mount Sinai. We don't even have to go to, to, to a certain place, unlike other religions. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. It's a, it's a cool thing to go, but I've never been. I don't know if I'll ever be, and, and I, I have access to the presence of God right here in Middle Tennessee just as much as I do in Jerusalem. 
Because the mountain's not physical, the mountain is spiritual. It's a place, it's a high place with the Lord that he's created with us. And so it is that, that this, this fear, the Lord's saying, no, this is approachable. Go to the kingdom. Come on, bring everyone in. Your sin, God, your sin is not more powerful than God's grace. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And, and there's a different place we're going to now. That leads us to our second point. Oh, th- th- this is, this is going to be good. The kingdom is enjoyable. It's enjoyable. It's practical. It's breakfast on Tuesday morning, Eggo waffles with syrup on the china. We're not waiting to Thanksgiving. We're taking the tools out. God says, open it up now. Get that which you've called fragile and unusual. And you said, that's not me. I'm not cultured enough. And God says, no, you just use it. The kingdom is yours. The kingdom is open. The kingdom is accessible. The kingdom is open to you. Just go right in and enjoy what I have for you. Verse 22, this is what it says. Instead, instead of that scary mountain in the upside down world, (laughs) Thank you, thank you. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels. Now here's what's interesting. The angels used to bring the judgment of God. When Gabriel came to Mary, he brought the hope of the world to her. He now, he now, transferred the message from angels to Jesus, the one son of God. So now, the myriad of angels, a festive gathering. Doesn't that sound good? A festive gathering are in the more modern translations, a party. (laughs) To the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect. This idea that this gathering has happened. And and for those who read this, they they may have referred to the the first Olympics. And so maybe our minds could go there too, where like people from different tribes and nations and city-states gather for competition. And it's not a physical war where people are going to lose their lives. It's a fun competition and there's feasting around it and there's understanding around it. And there's a a, a sense of uh, global community a worldwide community, and when it's operating at its best, this is the kind of feast and festival that God has called his people to. The problem is, some of us, because we think the kingdom is unapproachable, the kingdom has become unenjoyable. We don't enjoy it. And the Lord's saying, there's the Lord saying that with me, you're joining angels and saints those who are alive now and those who have gone before us and those who will come after we're gone. We're part of one kingdom. We're one of one party. We're one, one part of one festival. And, and I referred to, I, I referred to th- this idea of Esau, Jacob and Esau earlier. And Esau gave up his birthright for temporary pleasure 
And he did that and he despised his birthright. And God's saying here to the scripture, my people don't despise my birthright. They don't give up what I have given them. They don't take for granted who I am. They are among the firstborn, not those who give up their rights as firstborn, but those who say, I will embrace what God has given me. And and I know second generation Christianity and fourth generation Christianity, which some of you are, Some of you are that, and we thank God for our heritage, but with that comes the challenge of despising our birthright and and not appreciating what has been handed down to us. But God's people are like the firstborn who take all of what Jesus has for us and embraces it today. That's why Psalms 103, verses one through five, reminds us, my soul bless the Lord. And all that's within me, bless his holy name. Why? My soul bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. It's enjoyable to serve the Lord. It's a good thing to serve the Lord. Here's some of the things the Lord has done. He's forgiven all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. I'm telling you guys, Satan wants to deceive us and have us forget what our birthright is, to despise the birthright. But part of what we do when we come together with the festival, the assemblies of saints, guys, when we come together in this room, it's not just us coming together. We're joining all saints of all times in all places, and we're joining the angels, and we're having a festival for Jesus because we've not despised who we are. We're reminding ourselves of who we are. We are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a a peculiar people that God has set apart for his purposes. And when we understand that, it gives us joy. It gives us satisfaction instead of all of the emptiness that we're filling ourselves up with. It's the right kind of nutrition. It's not just something that's good to the palate that, that makes us feel worse in the end. It's like the food that God serves is good for us at all times for all reasons. Here's number three, the kingdom is renewing. The kingdom is renewing. What does the kingdom renew? It renews that old time religion. No, not so much. It doesn't renew the past as far as customs that we prefer, our styles we prefer. The Lord may use those to bring inspiration for today. the, The renewal of the kingdom means it renews people. There's a renewal of people. That's what the kingdom is about. It's all about people. It's all about changed lives. It's all about God touching people. It's not about maintaining buildings. It's not about building enterprises uh, that, that a group of people gets together and they develop assets and they develop programs and they develop buildings and they develop all of these human things that live beyond them. Can I tell you that though some of those things may be helpful and good, if they are renewing people. It's all about people. Uh, you know, I look forward to the day. It's not that far off. We're gonna be debt-free in, I mean, less than 10 years, as church is, on the pace we're going on, uh, with God's help. But I don't wanna have a debt-free church without people whose souls haven't been debt-free. I mean, what's the point? I mean, that's one of the points. Churches all over America, boards are like looking at the numbers, looking at the numbers, looking at the numbers. Looking at the, we're going to pay off the building. We're going to have lots of money in savings. Uh, and then uh, we don't really care that no one's got saved. I mean, they're not, they don't say that. But 
you know, if we get, I'm so glad that our leadership board actually puts people first. They do. We invested lots of money this year to have a junior high camp and a high school camp. Why? It was a terrible business decision. Terrible. And I know parents that you spent lots of money to send your kids, but then the church spent lots of money to send the kids safely because we didn't have enough numbers for two camps. So all of y'all were in this terrible business decision, best spiritual decision we've made because people are more, more important than the bottom line. And so this is what I'm talking about in the kingdom. It's about people, verse 24, and Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant to sprinkle blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. So Abel, despite, Abel committed sin and shed his blood that, that was part of the destruction and Jesus shed his blood that brought renewal and a new covenant, a new way to relate to God. And this is how this fleshed out. Our gospel reading today is from Luke chapter 13. It says, as he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now, remember the Sabbath is important. In fact, on the mountain, Moses came down and said, here's 10 really important things to do, 10 commandments. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So this is really important. And so in order to follow the command that came off the physical mountain, uh, the upside down world, um, I did it again, good. Um, th there were rules that the Pharisees put about following the rules. So there were hundreds of rules about keeping the Sabbath. But there was a woman there, verse 11, who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called out to her, woman, you are free of your disability. Then he laid his hands on her and instantly she would restore and begin to glorify God. How many can say amen to that story? Okay, that's amen. All you people who love people. I mean, how can you not be excited about that? But all of you who love rules <laughs> and love tradition, and, and love order. That's kind of me. We have to be careful not to be like the next group of people, starting in verse 14. But the leader of the synagogue, that would be the senior pastor, by the way. Okay. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Isn't that crazy? I mean, this lady had been... She, she had been bound up by sickness for 18 years, and Jesus healed it. This, this should be, this is what, when it's about people, that's, that should be preeminent. The thing that matters to the hearts of God, the renewal of the kingdoms about human beings. It's not about traditions. And yet, he's indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He didn't like the timing. I mean, if Jesus had, had waited till 12.01 a.m. on Monday. Well, praise God for the healing. We should have made that lady uh, stick it out eight more hours so our tradition will continue. And so, responding by telling the crowd there are six days when work should be done. Therefore, come on those days. Be healed and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, hypocrites, don't each of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and leave it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? The kingdom is renewing and it's renewing 
people. When he said these things, all his adversaries were humiliated, but the whole crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things he was doing. This reminded me of a, of something, of a story. Um, about 20 years ago, my mentor, John McKenzie, um, who, he'll be here in November to preach, uh, he and I were experimenting on fasting. We were, we were learning how to fast together. And we uh, we're going to the graphic designer because in those days, it, just, it, was, it was harder to communicate about colors and things like that. So we went over to Judy's house and um, got out the, the color, the PMS colors to pick the right colors for whatever project we were working at. And, and Judy had a husband who didn't know the Lord or, or he wasn't living for the Lord. And Doyle loved Pastor John. And he was getting to know me, getting to love me. I I had not known him near as long as John. And so we got there about 10 o'clock in the morning. And we were like on day three of our fast. And we were feeling spiritual. Praying for the lost. Praying for God to move. Uh, You know, because we're fasting and we're learning how to do this. And and we, we had a goal to extend that fast a few more days. And... It became around lunchtime, and all of a sudden, the door opens, and Doyle walks in with two huge bags of food from one of the restaurants, and he said, lunch, guys? So in that moment, we're like, we're on a fast. What should we do? What should we do? And here's an unbeliever wanting to have lunch with us, and John and I look at each other, and we, it, was, it was an awkward few seconds. And then Pastor John said, yeah, man, let's eat. And so Doyle was more important in that moment than our fast. I'm about to dog. You know, I, I, fasting has been part of my life for a long time. And I'm going to tell you this because I'm about to dog fasting. Uh, the way we're fasting now is, is so self-centered. It is, I mean, it just really is. And so we have to really, really watch that. Maybe that's a teaching for another day. The Doyle was more important than our fast at that moment. You know what's great about Doyle? He'll be here at the 1045 service because we've had a long-term relationship and he's living for Jesus today because the kingdom, kingdom is more important. The people are more important in the kingdom than our rules or even our fast. Isn't that funny how you'd fast for the lost and then offend the lost at the same time? The kingdom is unique. Write it down, number four. The kingdom is unique. Hebrews 12, 25. See to it that you don't reject the one who speaks. And I want to tell you, this is a huge temptation for us in a post-Christian culture where the kingdom of God is not established um, in our culture and and frankly, not in a lot of our religious institutions today. Now, I'm, I'm not here to talk about, one of the things I'm going to try to really avoid in the future is talking about the national church and all that stuff. If you want to go have coffee with me, I love talking about that. I want to talk about you. And so, but here, here's what I want you to know, is that, that this is a time of great deception. It's a time of great falling away. It's a, it's a time of great worldliness. It's a time of... Uh, of great challenges to us. And the word of God is telling you, see to it that you don't reject the one who speaks. There is a subtle rejection of Jesus and the gospel 
and the principles of Scripture. And it's probably happening in a way you don't suspect. And I'll just, I'll just say that to you. For if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. This, this concept of if the representation of Jesus on earth, whether it was Jesus himself in the first century or now it's the church and it's a, a physical interaction Relational time, 242 groups today, it's men's Bible studies, it's women's Bible studies, it's sermons, it's youth camps, it's Awana. Hey, if that's not good enough for you, then you're probably not going to believe it if a spirit came down and did something dramatic. This, this, this is what it's saying. If you, if, you don't, if you can't see the greatness of Jesus and what's being revealed now and aren't submitting to the revelation of God, then there's not a better alternative and, and there's not something that, that you're missing out on when everything has been revealed through Scripture and through the Holy Spirit. So don't cut off, marginalize, eliminate that which is unique and special and can never be duplicated. And a lot of it is, and I'm going to, I said this in another form last week, but a lot of it is intellectual, um, kind of intellectual uh, boredom. Is what it is. And, and, and it's like, oh, I just need something different. I just need something edgy. I just need something um, that, that makes me appear smarter in conversations. So, some of us, listen, we, we, we are so desperate to sound intelligent in a conversation that we've given up our heart. We've given up our birthright in that. You know, and, and we're just always looking for a way to get an edge in on a conversation or to impress people with this kind of manufactured intellect. And, and we're not giving attention to our hearts. And the scripture's saying here, see to it that you don't reject the one who speaks. Don't reject Jesus. Don't reject the gospel. Don't reject the church. Don't reject uh, uh, Christianity, the historic faith. Don't reject your, your, your grandparents and great-grandparents' uh, Christianity just because uh, you, you think, well, I don't, I don't want to be classified as a, as a grandparent yet, so I'm not going to go all the way with Jesus. That's just so immature and foolish. It's, it, it's just such a poor thinking. If you want to talk about a lack of intellectual thinking, that is, if there's anything. And so there's uniqueness about Christianity uh, it's it, it, in a comparative to all religions, it's unique. And, and I'll just say this, is that every religion is about man earning their way to God, earning God's favor. Christianity is about us discovering God's favor. Every other religion is about earning salvation. Christianity is about Jesus paying the price for our salvation. Here's the last thing I'll share, point number five. The kingdom is unshakable. His voice shook the earth at that time. This is verse 26. So remember, when he came that first time, his, his voice shook the earth. It was dramatic. Even Moses was scared when this happened. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken. That is the created things so that what is not shaken might remain. Let's just, wow, this is so much here. This means that sin and evil, and then what is built on human pride, which is much of um, 
much of human religion in the form of Christianity, when men and women are building institutions for their own benefit and not for the benefit of Christ, those things will be shaken. And it's true. Guys, listen, a church only exists for about 40 years. And then they either change or die. That's why churches all over America are dying. Because the kingdom of God is not about the buildings. And it's not about the brand. And it's not about uh, the logo. Uh, The kingdom of God is about that which can't be touched. That which cannot be physically identified because it's a spiritual reality. And the shaking of the Lord. Then the shaking of the Lord comes. He came on Mount Sinai and he shook the earth and it changed everything. But he's coming again to not just shake the earth, but to shake the heavenlies. Because that which is in the spiritual realm, which has had rule and reign through darkness, will bow to the name of Jesus. That which is in the spiritual realm, which has deceived the hearts of man, that has caused systems of evil, that has, has been generational evil in people, will be shaken by the word of the Lord. This is the unshakable kingdom. And so it says, yes, uh, verse 12, uh, the removal of what can be shaken, that is a created thing, so that what is not shaken may remain. Verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence, and that, that points back to this the sense of reverence that we do find in the way we worship and all for our God is a consuming fire. Man, the fire keeps showing up in all these sermons. I'm like trying to get away from the fire, but it's just right there in the scripture. Here it is again. It's, it's again, we, we, we taught a few weeks ago about the fire. So it's not a fire we fear. It's not a fire that we avoid. It's a fire that purifies us. And so it is since Jesus died on Calvary. He's been speaking, not the angels. But a future is coming. A future is coming and a shaking is coming. And brothers and sisters, friends, co-workers in the Lord, keep building that which cannot be shaken. Keep building the inner life. Keep building the love of the Lord in your hearts. Don't be deceived by worldliness that wants you to build a house upon the sand. Build your house upon the rock, the cornerstone. His name is Jesus. He's the one that we build every thought, every intention, every decision. He's the one that holds everything together. I want you to stand with me. The old fire was a symbol of holiness that consumed and destroyed all of the evil, and so you couldn't touch it. But the new fire is God himself within us. God himself within us. God himself that comes and fills us with the fire of his presence. And so that we do not fear, we embrace, and we call for it, and we love it, and we know that we're invited into the place that God has called us to. And so before we go to a time of decision, I want us to say the Lord's Prayer together. And when we say it today, that part, let your kingdom come and your will be done. I hope that it has more meaning to you today. Let your reign come. Come on, God, show up in my life. Show up in my business. Show up in my kid's life. God, show up in my language. God, show up in the way I handle my finances. God, show up at CIL. God, show up at my neighborhood. God, show up in my house. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we'll say these words and we'll, I believe we're going to use the word trespasses, but let's, let's say this together. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Guys, I want you to know this is that uh, the kingdom is for you. We all want to be part of something special. That's why we try to identify ourselves with cultural things. Whether it's a musician we like, whether it's a sports team, whether it's a brand, whether it's a church brand. We, we're like, I feel special when I'm identified with this, whatever this is bigger than myself. And I'm not saying those things are wrong in themselves and by themselves. But I'm just saying there's a higher place to identify there's a greater place that you're invited to, and you're all in the kingdom. You don't have to worry about rejection. There's no rejection for you. There's no rejection for you in the kingdom. God's not going to push you away. God's not going to have you and say you're not welcome. He has prepared a place for you. The table of the Lord is prepared for you. So I just, as we go into this closing time of worship, we're going to invite you to come to the kingdom. Pastor Greg is going to serve communion by intention. Uh, Pastor Chip and Gala will be here to pray with people. And why don't you guys go, if you don't mind, to this side. And, and Josh and Brooke can be here to pray with people for the left. And so if you need prayer about anything, uh, healing, uh, just need encouragement in the Lord, we get pastors to your left, pastors to your right who are available for you. Again, communion is also available to your right, to your left. Communion is also available in the, in the back. It's available by intention here at the front if you want to take the bread and dip it in, your, in the cup. If you're here with us, I won't give you instructions on when to take communion. You can take communion when your heart is ready. You can take communion when you're, able, when you're ready and, and you're ready to enter in. And then in just a few minutes, about five minutes, I'll come and give our benediction for, the, for this day. Lord, we commit these elements to you. Believing these symbolic elements, your presence is here. Your presence is within those. So touch us by your presence for those who choose to take communion today. And Lord, I pray we all would enter in to your unshakable kingdom and put our hope in you and not on the things that are so fragile. We love you. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The table of the Lord is open.